With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. We got another Dynasty edition coming up. Trying to get through these dog days of February in style. And then we'll worry about free agency and all that stuff down the line. Very special guest to help me accomplish that goal. He is the late round fantasy football creator, host of the award-winning late round fantasy football podcast. You know him by now, the East Coast dad himself, JJ Zacharyson, who just launched his own website everyone late round.com if you're not subscribing i don't know what the hell you are doing obviously at late round qb on twitter jj your first time on the pod thank you for the time my friend true og of the industry how's it going my man it's good man i feel like this has been a long time coming like we've we've talked to each other for so long and known each other for so long we just haven't been able to do this show but i'm excited to to do it with you man absolutely man great day to be great as always yeah, let's talk some running backs, man. You know, I know a lot of people, maybe they start off with quarterbacks, but running backs are the backbone of our fantasy industry, whether, you know, haters like my company want to say they don't matter and whatnot. So again, all things Dynasty. JJ, for doing a startup draft, again, just everyone's out there. Do you subscribe to general rule of thumb that wide receivers should take priority over running backs? Because age, experience, whatever you want to look at, that lifespan's short. Yeah, I, I do. I, I really do. I do more so than other analysts do, honestly. You know, in, in Dynasty, I sort of look at two separate buckets. You know, we have production or how, how well a uh, player scores fantasy points, right? That's the obvious bucket that we can look at. But there's also appreciation, right? Which is how well a player gains value year over year. We know that high-end elite running backs are mainly the ones that are giving you that edge in fantasy football. They're the important players at the position. You know, the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. Uh, you know, the Jonathan Taylors of the world. And if you have one, great, you know, you, you know that's, that's a, a great asset to have uh, in dynasty, but they still don't appreciate over a long period of time, quite like elite wide receivers do, you know, a guy like Justin Jefferson, a guy like Jamar chase, uh, they're going to be around for, and at the top of dynasty rankings, more than likely for like six years. Right. I mean, like we're going to feel good if, if not longer, and, and we're going to feel good about uh, that and about them. Whereas you know, you look at a player like Najee Harris, for instance, and, uh, you know, I think that that you look at his profile, it's a very, like, uh, a lot of my models see him as sort of like an Ezekiel Elliott-type trajectory, where it's like, yeah, you're going to get three, four strong years out of him, uh, but then you might hit that cliff, and you're going to want to sell. You know, you might even want to sell after three years, and so it's just a different beast, and so I'm, I'm looking at this from both the standpoint of production, yes, and those elite running backs are giving you that production, there's no doubt, but from an appreciation standpoint, I just feel better about the Jamar Chases and Justin Jeffersons of the world. I saw a good tweet from Matt FF Dynasty. That's his handle on Twitter. And this was basically a dynasty startup from 2018. One QB, so no super flex or anything. 
Todd Gurley, Zico Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, some wide receivers, <laughs> Alvin Kamara, Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, Lenny Fournette. That's how quickly it changes yeah. at running back. And like, again, there's nothing wrong with ranking Najee, number two, number three. He deserves it right now. But man, if it's all else equal, just take the wide receiver. They're going to be there longer. Yeah, totally agree. All right. So again, I've been doing echoing some of my thoughts I've had on the age and experience things. We all understand uh, that. Now, one interesting finding I had from uh, Ted Seth, he came on this podcast, real sharp Michigan analytics dude. And he basically was able to find that 1500 professional carries. He was able to, you know, basically prove analytically, which is what we would like to do uh, when we're trying to confirm our priors or whatever. College doesn't matter as much. Receptions doesn't matter as much. That 1500 professional carry number was where he deemed we start seeing running backs fall off, at least in terms of rushing yards over expected. So if teams still want to give a 33 year old you know 400 carries i'm sure he'll be fine but in terms of what they are actually able to produce efficiency wise that's where we see the problem so right now we only have three main qualifiers all due respect to ingram Le'Veon bell and those types of guys but melvin gordon derrick henry Ezekiel elliott sure looks like they're past their prime at least relative to this number do you subscribe to like a specific threshold like that because i've done some work that's kind of shown that you know 400 touches a season before doesn't necessarily mean a big drop off is incoming but hey man at least to me, like 1500 times going to the thick of the defense it makes sense to me that that's a decent number where we can then start to again not completely write off these guys but at least realize their best years are probably over yeah and it's logical too right like i mean maybe it's not 1500 and maybe it's 1450 or maybe right. it's like 1600 for this guy but you know we're, we're looking at a, a very very large number and we're saying okay this makes sense this guy's been running to the ground and we're all human beings and it's not very easy for a human being be able to maintain that kind of production at that volume uh you know yes i look at at volume but i also look at age uh and some of the stuff that i've i've looked at with the running back position is that usually you'll start to see a dramatic impact whenever they hit around 27 uh and then if you can if you can look at you know 28 is definitely the age that i would want to sell and not have that player anymore and 27 is sort of like the alarm going off in my head saying now's the time to trade that player. And here's, here's the deal. You know, you might get rid of that player at 27 and he does have one more good season in him and you sort of eat that season. Right. But you're also running the risk that after that season, everyone sort of catches wind or maybe that player towards the tail end of the season uh, trails off a little bit. And you're, you're running the risk that he does lose value going into that, that 28 uh, age, 28 season. And then the other thing that I should, should add to this too, that I, I generally look at with age and running backs is what happens when a, a running back uh, is is ending his rookie contract. And so, you know, after he's played four years in the league, and the main reason I look at that is because, uh, you know, we can see a drop-off in production when that hits uh, because there's going to be a change in scenery potential or just because, you know, <clears throat> we know that running backs don't generally get lucrative second deals to begin with. Um, and so if that deal isn't very strong, teams might not be as uh, uh, teams might not want to give that running back as big of a workload. If there are other guys, uh, you know, sitting in that backfield already who can handle the load, or if they go to the draft and get a, a running back uh, and, and look that route. So like, for instance, this season, like going into, th there are a lot of guys from, you know, it's a 2019 class that are going into their, uh, rookie seat or the last year of the rookie contracts like a Damian Harris right you got Ramondre Stevenson sitting back there and it's just frightening it's a frightening situation all around where Damian Harris comes off probably 
the best season that he's ever going to have in his professional career. And so, you know, you look at someone like him where yeah, he's not like super old or anything, but this is the last year of his rookie deal. There's a lot of ambiguity. You know, this might be the time right now to sell someone like Damian Harris or like a David Montgomery, even to some degree where, you know, Montgomery last year of his rookie deal, Khalil Herbert looked really good this past year, new coaching staff. I mean, there's a lot of things and a lot of question marks around that situation to the point where you at least should investigate and see if you want to, you know, if someone in your league is high enough on those players to trade them away. So it's usually that inflection point of the rookie deal. And then on top of that, uh, you know, once they, you know, if they do get that second contract and they are still workhorses, usually that age 27 range is when I start to think about trading them away. I feel like we've seen the Henry's, the Kamara's, Aaron Jones. Like if they stay on their similar team, I'm okay giving them an extra year or two benefit yeah. of the doubt. Everything's, you know, different. But my God, man, the track record of these running backs changing oh, teams awesome. last five years, absolutely brutal. Here are the largest running backs contracts on a new team since 2016. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. Chris Ivory with the Jaguars. Jarek McKinnon. 49ers can't predict injuries, but that just sucks. Lamar Miller, Texans, Deion Lewis, Titans, Melvin Gordon, Broncos, Carlos Hyde, Browns, Latavius Murray with the Vikings, Mark Ingram with the Ravens. Okay. There's a good season here or there, but like JJ, you know, it's either of us, any fantasy analysts out there. If you post a running back rankings that don't have Derrick Henry in the top five, you will get your ass chewed out by all these, you know, eggheads out there. And Hey, maybe he continues to be an exception, but I don't think betting on outliers year after year is a great idea, man. Right. No, I, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult situation and eventually the wheels will fall off eventually. I mean, we don't, we don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, but the other thing to think about with like the contract stuff is that when, it, when a player, le- this, this sort of like plays into like wide receivers too. And you know, the narrative that uh, of, of wide receivers generally not performing very well when they switch teams, we have to look at the sample bias there because wide receivers who do switch teams are switching teams because the team that they had or that they were with didn't want them anymore. Right. So generally speaking, those wide receivers or those running backs probably aren't quite up to par in terms of talent. You don't see like Stefan Diggs get trades traded all the time and players like that switching teams. You know, you're seeing these guys hit free agency because their team didn't want them anymore. Maybe they didn't want them anymore for a reason. Kind of like the opposite of survival um, ship bias, which I'm sure there's like an actual right. term uh, for yeah. that, but uh, you know what I'm saying there. So, all right. We don't know where these upcoming rookies are going to land. This kind of transitioning from our change of scenery uh, spot. I know that a lot of analysts out there, myself included soon and yourself, we will have kind of a good idea of where we rank these running backs, wide receivers, all these guys before the draft last year, Khalil Herbert, every, a lot of people's darling clear cut running back four lands on the bears and everyone's like hold on take a step back we saw what he could do but when he didn't have the opportunity he was nothing in fantasy land so just in general jj like how do you balance being not i should say not being a draft capital slave because we do have a lot of data that shows you know running backs rounds one through three as rookies much much uh, at least much more frequent high-end producers of fantasy than the later round guys how do you balance the draft capital and the landing spot with what you're able to take away from them as a prospect yeah, it's a really, really good question because it's a, it's a difficult one. You know, I have models that I work off of when I prospect with wide receivers and running backs, and I will tell you that the running back one factors in draft capital much, much more than the wide receiver one does. And I think that's largely due to the fact that wide receivers sort of need more talent than running backs do in order to thrive. Uh, you know, they need to get open. They're competing for touches with other players on the field, whereas a running back, yes, they need to be talented to like get to the top of their depth chart. But a coach is literally saying, go out on the field, you're the running back, we're going to hand you the ball, and that's the way that they accumulate their volume, right? Uh, and, and I think that's what sort of drives 
uh, why draft capital does matter for the running back position the way that it does. You know, players drafted early are then getting first crack at, at those reps. You know, there are situations where coaches are literally looking at the best talent and going with the talent like we saw in San Francisco, which, you know, people will like like crap on, on Kyle Shanahan and what San Francisco did this past year with Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell. I applaud it. Right. I mean, yeah. he's, he's sitting there saying, he's like, I'm not going to throw Trey Sermon back there because we spent a third round pick on him. I'm going to use the more talented back. Chris Carson Elijah over Mitchell. Rashad right. Penny a few years ago too. Yeah. That's an even better example because the draft capital difference was so yeah. significant. Right. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think it's fine to think that way. It's just, unfortunately, you know, of course, like early round running backs are better and they're talented. So like naturally we're going to see a correlation there, but you know, I give coaches credit whenever they're able to, to eat that capital and be like, okay, we're going to utilize uh, the guy that we drafted second or someone who's already on the team sure. over that player. But uh, you know, it's, I, I've studied a lot of rookie draft data um, and, and there are two main trends with running backs that I think are really, really important in terms of just how the market behaves. And, and the first one is that the market sort of overrates situation, immediate situation. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Khalil Herbert. So obviously like naturally people are way, way down on Khalil Herbert because he's at, in a backfield with David Montgomery when he's drafted. And, and, you know, that worked out to some degree, but a really good example of where it didn't work out back when Samaj P. Ryan was drafted by Washington, there was no other running back uh, in that backfield when he was drafted, but he was a day three pick uh, for Washington. And he was a late first round rookie pick as a result of that, because there was no one else in that backfield. And if you, and the same thing could be said for with Trey Sermon this past year, where like, you know, he, his, his profile wasn't that strong. I mean, he was a bigger body back amongst a lot of running backs who weren't necessarily these like bigger bodied guys, but you can make a similar argument that he was lifted simply because he landed in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Um, so there's that they, people will overrate situation, but they, they also overrate their talent evaluation itself. You know, I think that, Yes, we are looking at draft capital a lot with running backs, and it's important to look at draft capital, but there is a large, large subset of people who say screw draft capital. Uh, draft capital. Um, and so some of the best rookie draft picks in terms of value over the last decade and looking at this rookie ADP data are running backs who are drafted in round two of rookie drafts who have day two draft capital. So it's like, you know, they're not guys who necessarily, because there's not a lot of day two running backs that just like really, really blow, especially like round three guys, but you know, they're guys like Damian Harris who might not have this great situation when he's entering the league, but you know that at least he has that capital. He's a decent prospect, all, all of the above that eventually you're hoping that he can step up and, and become something significant. So uh, if you keep those two things in mind, I think it's really, really important because, you know, draft capital really does matter at the running back position for a lot of reasons. And yes, you know, it's, it's not fun to say that because we want to do our own evaluation and we want to say this guy's good, this guy's not. Um, but the other thing I want to add to this one last thing <clears throat> in my model, it spits out a prospect score, like a percentile score. Right. But what I do is I created this metric called draft capital Delta, which, uh, which looks at a player's prospect score and then looks at his draft capital score percentile essentially. And it compares the two and it can say, this guy was overdrafted or this guy was underdrafted. And instead of saying, you know, I'm, I'm still utilizing the prospect score first and foremost, which is influenced by draft capital. But instead of saying like, you know, only looking at that, I'm able to look at a guy like James Robinson, who wasn't drafted, who went undrafted. And he had one of the highest draft capital deltas in a positive on the positive side in my model over the last decade. And I can sit there and say, 
oh, this is a guy that I might want to throw a dart at in, in rookie drafts this year because the draft capital Delta is saying that he was very, very, I mean, he didn't even get drafted, but he was very, very underdrafted slash not drafted. So that's another way that you can at least utilize this is still look at, you know, what your numbers or whatever you're looking at says about a player and just compare that to, to draft capital and see where a player might be over or underdrafted because generally that might correlate with what rookie ADP is saying wild how many things you just talk about were so directly applicable to the 2020 draft because we had james right. robinson going undrafted into the situation we had Keyshawn vaughn going to an empty buccaneers backfield yeah. in the third round causing way too many people maybe including myself to freak out a little bit and you know as much as people want to curse the kansas city chiefs for taking claude edwards Alaire over jonathan taylor how many fantasy teams did the exact same thing that year mm -hmm. purely based on draft capital and landing spots so of course everyone you can hear all those good thoughts from JJ on the late round fantasy football podcast. And I, just real quick on that, man, kudos to you for being able to do, you know, the solo pods in like a small amount of time. Cause I would try to do that for a little <laughs> bit and just between not being able to talk slow enough, rambling for too long or just whatever the problem, man, it truly is a talent. So, you know, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. All right. So we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of bigger summary stuff. Let's dig into the running backs right here, right now. We know Jonathan Taylor, fairly consensus RB1. If you disagree, go ahead. But pretty sure he's everyone's RB1 at this point. What about your overall RB2 in Dynasty Land? Because I do think there are several, you know, viable contenders. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think there definitely is. I, I still have Christian McCaffrey as my RB2. Um, and I think it's, you know, some people say that's semi-controversial, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we're talking injuries that have really capped his his season-long ceiling. You know, on a points-per-game basis, not a game-to-game -game basis, he's still been Christian McCaffrey when he's been active. Um, and so, yes, there's definitely some risk, but I would argue that the, you're, you know, it's just a risk-reward thing where, um, you know, we know that the ceiling is there, the elite, elite ceiling that uh, other guys, even Jonathan Taylor, to some degree, I would argue like, like of all players in fantasy football, Christian McCaffrey probably still has the highest ceiling of anyone in fantasy football, at least right? in full PPR for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. In full PPR. And so like, like, you know, I think that's the easy argument for Christian McCaffrey. Um, but you know, with my rankings, I tier them. Right. And I have Jonathan Taylor in tier one. Uh, you know, if you're looking at, uh, wide receivers as well in this, uh, he's in tier one with, uh, behind Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson. So he's, you know, right there with those guys. And then Christian McCaffrey doesn't pop pop up until tier three, just to give you an idea of like right. how big of a gap I see yeah. between like a Jonathan Taylor and CMC. Part of that's age, you know, part of that is the injuries. I think that we have to still be cognizant that those injuries exist, right? Um, and, and then after, after uh, CMC, I have, you know, Najee, DeAndre Swift, like those kinds of players. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, I think that, that you can make an argument for those guys for sure. Uh, but right now I have Jonathan Taylor way ahead of them. And then CMC is my RB2. Nice note from Dr. Evan Porras at FB Injury Doc. Basically an hour before his podcast started, his best 2022 comp for Christian McCaffrey as it relates to health is Austin Eckler coming off the hamstring. Notes that CMC's high ankle and AC injury from 2020, more so incidental and shouldn't follow him along. That's the thing. I am willing to listen to doctors that know what the hell they're talking about with this mm -hmm. stuff. If they tell me that these injuries are something to be worried about in the future. Evan talks about Dalvin Cook's shoulder injury potentially being yep. something that could be recurring and looking out for but no i'm not gonna fade the best running back in nfl history in ppr right. points per game because of injuries that haven't happened yet so yeah. love that now mentioned uh before that law of 1500 carries melvin gordon is someone that you know 
not dead. I, I thought people were kind of quick to write him off. Uh, not, I probably shouldn't use dead. We can use a better vocabulary than that, Ian. Anyway, maybe not. Again, maybe his best years are in the past at a minimum. Now, how does someone like Javante Williams, where we accept that Melvin Gordon, maybe he'll still be involved, but past his prime, I think is fair to say. Javante Williams, how does the status of Melvin Gordon change your thoughts on Javante Williams, if at all? Because right now, he's my RB4, and my kind of thought is like, okay, if Melvin leaves – that's great for this year, but like, what the hell are we doing worried about this veteran running back that was, you know, not necessarily losing the backfield in 2021, but man, let, let's bet on the 21 year old right now. I'm okay being a few spots high on Javante when the only, you know, down reason against him is the status of a veteran running back. Yeah, I think that's the right approach for sure. And I, I have him at RB five, so I'm right there okay, with you, there you know, in terms, in terms of just like, like he, from a prospect standpoint. So again, I have draft capital in my prospect model for, for running backs before I inputted that draft capital last year, Javante Williams is actually the RB one in that class. And then after Najee and Travis Etienne get first round draft capital, they, they got jumped ahead. Uh, but, but Javante Williams was still a very, very good prospect in that model in a percentile tier that just has tons and tons of hits. And then if you look at what, you know, he did in year one, one of the things that I, I, I built this off season is a, um, what would I call uh, the, the year two model, which is really, really creative. Uh, and it's, you know, essentially, essentially just looks at uh, a dude's prospect score and then how he did in year one as a rookie. And it helps predict how he's going to do in years two and three uh, of his NFL career. And so the other cool thing that I can do with that is I can look at uh, what I call journey comparables, which is essentially players who had a similar prospect score and then had a similar year two score and see, you know, which players went down similar paths, right? It's a, yeah. a, a comparable from that perspective. So it's not a stylistic comparable. It's not like a size comparable or anything like that. But with Javante Williams, the top comp for him was actually Dalvin Cook in terms of the journey comparable. So I think that like, that's the trajectory that we're on with Javante Williams right now. And yeah, I mean, like, I do think to some degree, like, the idea that Melvin Gordon's either going to some semi go away slash not even be on the team next year is baked into his ADP and baked into this ranking a little bit. But at the same time, if we, if we make the assumption that Melvin Gordon is gone, then I think that there's an easy argument to make that Javante Williams is the RB two, if you want to in yeah. dynasty, I mean, there's at least an argument to be made there. So, uh, you know, I, I think he's a very, very good prospect. Uh, I'm high on him. I'm going to have him, I, I, you know, especially if Melvin's gone, I'll have him everywhere in redraft. And, and hopefully, you know, these dynasty shares end up uh, working out uh, because I do think that he's a very special player. We saw that ceiling against that, in that Kansas City game earlier this year. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's a very, very good running back. And if people want to look at that game and say, oh, well, he had that 40-yard dump off before the half and he had the garbage time touchdown – uh, those are the sorts of things that you start to get when your team's featured running back. Yeah, right, like, right. was every single reception DeAndre Swift had last year, you know, in this crucial moment of the game? Right. I don't think so. So, yeah, we don't care what the style points look like. And in Javante's case, usually he does look pretty damn good with that ball in his hand. So, JJ, obviously, we're prioritizing the young guys. That doesn't mean we can't get some bets in there, particularly, you know, we're looking at the value. So, everyone becomes a value if the ADP goes low enough. We do have a handful of second contract running backs that have already hit 26 years old and now i look at the list they actually all fit what we were talking about before where they're on the same team so austin eckler alvin kamara nick chubb dalvin cook and derrick henry they're still being picked awfully high and you know most of the drafts that we're seeing out of you know in the industry out of this group again eckler kamara chubb cook and henry who are you still interested in and then who are you generally fading and kind of trying to get off your teams as soon as possible 
Yeah. So, you know, in situations like this, if I'm going to buy a, you know, typically I don't buy older run, you know, I shouldn't say older. I mean, they're still in the prime of their career, but you know, just like these are, they're in the apex of their career without much growth in terms of like appreciating value and, and, and dynasty. Um, you know, the guys that I would gravitate towards are more of the pass catchers because that can extend their, their life as a running back in the league. And, you know, if they reach 30 years old, they can hypothetically still play some sort of pass catching role and maybe be an RB two in fantasy football, you know, as opposed to being the RB one that they are right now. So, you know, of those guys that you mentioned, you know, a guy like Austin Eckler, totally cool with, you know, there's no sign of him being far worse over the next year or two. Uh, and I actually think that you can make a pretty strong argument right now. And I was thinking about this because I think your initial reaction to what's going on with Alvin Kamara is that, uh, you know, the saints are, are in this rebuild mode or in dis- semi disarray. Cause we have no idea what the quarterback situation looks like. There's no more Sean Payton. Uh, and that's a little bit frightening. And now Alvin, Alvin Kamara is coming off of a season where at his lowest target share of his career at like 14 to 15%. So, uh, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, I don't want this guy on my team anymore. And I don't want this guy on my team anymore. Well, that's what everyone's thinking right now. And yeah. so, you know, <laughs> hypothetically you could get him at a discount and we know that he's a very good running back. Who's going to command a lot of looks out of the backfield regard. I mean, look at who was under center for them this year. Right. I mean, they had this carousel of quarterbacks and he was still relatively competent and good. And so what happens if they actually do hit on a quarterback or what happens if they do go and trade for a quarterback or, or what have you. Um, and so I think that you can actually make the argument because of his pass catching upside, you know, if, if he were a, a traditional two down back or, you know, someone who was not utilized as a pass catcher, like Nick Chubb, I'd be a lot more concerned about a guy like Kamara, but uh, because of the fact that we know that he's a, a premier pass catching back, I don't feel nearly as, as bad about, you know, trying to buy him really, really low right now. Um, and then, so, so those are the two that really pop for me with, with a guy like Chubb and Henry. I mean, you know, we talked about Henry earlier, you know, it's, it's just a, a tough situation to always predict. Um, and, and, you know, he had these like insane outlier seasons the last couple of years. And I, you know, I've been wrong about Henry. That's fine. Uh, but uh, you know, eventually, uh, it's just not sustainable the way that he's been doing things. Uh, and then with Nick Chubb, it's, it's, it's not so much Chubb, the player. I think it's just Chubb in the way that this it, multiple coaching staffs now have utilized him. Right. You know, it's, it, it maybe there's an issue there. I, I don't think there's a real issue there from a pass catching standpoint, but we know that coaches don't think super rationally about workhorse running backs. So Even when um, was out, man, that's the part. Yeah. Like when you got right, right, like Dearness okay. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it's, it, it's not logical to me and it's not like Chubb can't catch passes. Uh, but it's how they utilize him, and we just have to be realistic about. It. I mean, and no the, shade, real quick, no shade, Dearness Johnson. But we're talking about Nick freaking Chubb, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like Dearness Johnson's great, he's fun, but but you know, it's it's Nick Chubb that right. we're talking about here. Right. And so you know, I just I think it's tough to see a season from Nick Chubb like having like a fifteen percent, even like a thirteen percent target share in that offense. And so it's just hard to buy into that from a dynasty standpoint. I think that you can get another year out of Chubb, even maybe another year out of Derrick Henry before you can really really sell. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, they're, they're inching towards that point where uh, I'd rather sell a year early than, you know, be caught holding the bag. It's amazing. The Kamara difference between, you know, week 16, 2020 absolutely wins everyone and their mother, their fantasy championship 2021 because Ian freaking books under center. The guy can't do a damn yeah. thing. I'm not sure uh, we got too much on there about Dalvin cook. This is the one that's, I, I would say out of all these guys, I might be trying to get away from and accordingly yeah. get on Alexander Madison, uh, you know, going through my ranks. I have Madison RB 31, not too crazy, but we actually see him outside most people's top 36 and now I do think handcuffs in dynasty, you can even handcuff the guy on your own team. Like it's not best ball, not, yeah. not, and we have the extra roster spots. So we know Madison at worst is one of the best handcuffs in the league. And at best man, Dalvin cook, 
sixth season. He'll be 27 by week one. He's hitting all the age and experience standpoints we're worried about. Mentioned the shoulder issue before. And let's face it, man. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what's going on legally. It's not good. So at this point in time, like, really? We want to treat Dalvin Cook as a potential top 10 dynasty running back still? Couldn't be me. Yeah. No, I, I'm totally with you, man. I mean, Dalvin Cook is like the quintessential a uh, higher end running back that I want nothing to do with. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, I mean, you mentioned all, all the reasons why, and it's sort of, you know, I see the same thing, you know, I mentioned David Montgomery earlier and David Montgomery is much earlier in his career than, than Dalvin cook is, but it's the logic of the, that uh, last year in his rookie deal and why I'm into buying a guy like Khalil Herbert, because we know that Herbert's dirt cheap and he's going to be easy to, to acquire. But then on top of that, uh, you know, he's at least, I mean, at the very least he's a high end handcuff, right? Like yeah. that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine to have in your dynasty rosters um, because we know that they can, they can have those spiked weeks if they end up uh, stepping in for their starter. So I love that call. I think it makes a ton of sense. And yes, of those guys on this list, I feel most nervous uh, from a health standpoint. You mentioned the off the field stuff, which I feel like people have just kind of swept under the rug and forgotten about. Uh, there's just a lot going on with Dalvin Cook. And maybe, you know, what if Kirk Cousins is gone, right? Like what, what if, what new if offense, they new regime? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's just a lot of, of question marks that I think are, are not being baked into his ADP right now. So running back with that had major health concerns, maybe you can say he's still going through them, but Cam Akers, he has the age, has the theoretical three down role, but he sucked in the playoffs. Now I'm not holding the playoff yards per carry, the PFF rushing grade necessarily against him. Sony Michelle wasn't doing any better behind the same offensive line. My question is, what's the usage going to be like? Because we've seen Gurley, CJ Anderson, Akers uh, down the stretch run in 2020, even Akers in the divisional round. Sean McVay's lead RB1. It's one of the most fantasy-friendly roles in the game. With that said, NFC Championship Super Bowl, we did see a much more split situation. What are your thoughts on Akers moving forward? I'm kind of teetering. I have him as like a, you know, higher end RB2. But if we could ensure that he was going to be the workhorse in 2022 and beyond, like that's a guy where similar to Javante, like you wouldn't be crazy necessarily to put him in the top five. I know we haven't seen the statistical production, the efficiency there, but just based on that role, man, it's tough to do better than what Akers could be looking at. Yeah, look, if someone doesn't want to go out and trade for Cam Akers, I, I understand. Like, it, it, it's it's understandable if you don't want to take on a guy who has not proven to be able to stay healthy or, or have a big workload at the NFL level. Uh, you know, I liked him a lot as a prospect. He, uh, you know, what's funny is that uh, you, you mentioned what's gone on in the playoffs. And I agree totally that people are just overstating the living, you know, what out of what <laughs> went on in the playoffs. The but dude the run cares. He fake yeah, too. right, right. He faces <laughs> San Francisco and Tampa Bay, right? <laughs> He, he, he tears his Achilles. He's coming back from this Achilles tear, like, which is faster than any other like human being has ever come back from in, on a football field. He comes back, you know, the, from, from an eye test standpoint, from an explosiveness standpoint. Cardinals game looked good. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought he looked good. Like it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really have like a, a concern, uh, you know, like you said with the Cardinals game and then, you know, the Bucks game happens, he fumbles. And I think that's a large reason why his, his backfield share numbers didn't look as strong in San Francisco. But then on top of that, he faces Tampa Bay and San Francisco, two of the best right. rush defenses in football. Right. Not only that, but if you look at any, I mean, I'm assuming any expected points model, I looked at number fires for this, but uh, Sony Michelle in the playoffs had a success rate of 19%, which is horrific. 
Uh, Cam Akers had a success rate of 28%. It was actually pretty significantly better than what Sony Michelle is doing. Small sample size is sure. But again, I think this just, just plays into the idea that uh, the Rams had a much better pass blocking unit than a run blocking unit overall. And that played into why Cam Akers was not able to really do anything from, from a production standpoint. And so if you don't want to take any of that on because he was injured, because, you know, there's a lot of projecting that you have to do in order to really, you know, buy into to Akers as like a low end RB1, high end RB2. If, if you don't want to buy into that, I totally understand. That's fine. The way that I sort of play fantasy football is I'm going to embrace that like high end variance because like you noted, you know, if he does, if it does break his way, uh, he could be a top five running back in, in, in dynasty and in fantasy and in, in redraft and fantasy football. So to me, I, I sort of lean a little bit more buy than sell. Uh, and I, I say that mostly, you know, I would probably be like right in the middle, if not for what happened in the playoffs and the narrative surrounding Cam Akers right now. I, you know, I, I would assume that the majority of Cam Akers managers who have him in Dynasty are sitting there right now being like, I'm not going to sell him low after, you know, this playoff run. Like, I love Cam Akers and, and all that. But if, if there is a manager out there who has Akers and they're a little bit spooked by what happened in the playoffs, I think those are the guys to go after. Because if you can get him as like a mid-range RB2 and that sort of price point, like if you can send like an Elijah Mitchell plus to get someone like Cam Akers, I think it's a, it's the right move to make. It's just funny how quickly the uh, discourse changes with Akers because mm-hmm. the amount of freaking arguments that I probably would have been wrong in, but I had Akers over Jonathan Taylor pre Achilles going in to last year. And part of the thing I like to hold my hat on was how good he did in the playoffs against Green Bay, um, you know, in those two games the Rams had in 2020, because some people, they just do regular season. They don't even include the most important games of the year. Yep. But now all of a sudden, one year later, we're putting possibly too much importance on the playoff side of things when, again, he faced a freaking, you know, ridiculous front seven every single week. We can yeah. even go back to Baltimore, I think, like in week 17. It was never easy for him, not even once. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm totally with you. I think it's just it's just way, way overstated. And we look, we got to give the dude a little bit of a benefit of the doubt when right. he's coming off an Achilles tear. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me. So we've talked about, you know, Najee Harris set for more volume than anyone. That's fine. We've already talked a lot about Javante as well. Got some interesting other second-year running backs, though. You know, Michael Carter, Elijah Mitchell, and Travis Etienne, who a lot of people are forgetting about. Between those three, Carter, Mitchell, Etienne, how would you rank them in Dynasty then? Yeah, right now I have it Etienne, Mitchell, Carter. Um, and I, you know, it, it's not easy for sure. You know, I, I mentioned the year two model earlier where I look at a guy's rookie season and his prospect score is sort of combine the two and it spits out some score for, for this year two model. Uh, Elijah Mitchell right now is ranked in the 87th percentile in that year two model, which sounds good. It's not bad for sure. There's definitely hits in that range, uh, but you, you generally want a running back to hit the 90th percentile. That's where more hits end up happening. And then if you look at, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, we haven't seen a, a player like Elijah Mitchell really emerge and do what he did. And I, I wouldn't disagree to some degree, but at the same time, you know, I mentioned the journey comparables that I look at, which are guys who sort of went through a similar path in terms of prospect score and then year two score in my models. And his journey comparables are Zach Stacy, uh, Andre Ellington and James, Rob- and, and, James, and James Robinson. So, you know, if you look at those three, you know, Zach Stacy obviously sort of disappears in the NFL. Uh, Andre Ellington, uh, you know, he had a better year two or a decent year two score. He had a really bad prospect score, but a decent year two score because of what he did as a receiver. Um, but obviously, you know, he was fine as a receiver. You know, he's more of like an RB two type at best. Uh, you know, throughout the rest of his career. Uh, and then James Robinson, his team goes out and he, they they draft a, a running back in the first round. So I, I think with Elijah Mitchell, would I be shocked if he's you know like a low end RB one, high end RB two like next season? I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it's 
it's a Kyle Shanahan offense. And if they feed him the way that they fed him this year, um, you know, it's easy to see that sort of potential, but I just think there's a lot of fragility to his situation right now. Like just a, a good bit. You got to have at least to, cause I have a, a decent amount of Elijah Mitchell on my dynasty teams and I'm, you know, trying to trade him away in some, but I want to hold on to him in a little bit because it's not like, it's not like I, I went out and invested a ton to get him right. in the first place. Right. So like, I understand if, if people have him and they want to hold on to him, but I do lean more sell with a guy like Mitchell than buy because of all those reasons with Travis Etienne, Uh, he was a 97, 98th percentile prospect in my model coming out because of that first round capital, uh, really good production in college. And he's a great receiver. My models love, uh, receiving work at the I'm a sucker for pass catching backs. Um, and I mean the, you know, math bears that out as well. The game we play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it's just the way that it is. Right. Uh, and so, you know, ETN, he looks terrible in the year two model, but it's because he didn't play. Right. So his, 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 his comparables are like David Wilson and Rashad Penny and these guys who just didn't do anything there early on in their career, despite having uh, pretty good profiles and being good prospects. It's just, you know, injuries derailed them a little bit. So hopefully ETN can bounce back a little bit. I actually think ETN's pretty undervalued right now across all formats. Um, so I would be buying into him. I don't mind Michael Carter. My thing with Carter is I just don't know if the ceiling is truly there, like a, like a true, RB1 ceiling where I can see that a little bit more with guys like ETN and Elijah Mitchell. With ETN, at least, I'm knocking on wood, but at least we can confidently say that Carlos Hyde will not factor into this. Oh my gosh. Hope, yes, yes, yes. Dude, I just like the two the two draft day quotes I remember from last year that like just really concerned me was, was Urban Meyer saying like, all right, we got James and Carlos as our early, early down guys. And yeah. Travis is going to be our third down back. And it was Cliff Kingsbury drafting Rondale Moore and going, we got Hopkins, we got AJ. Now we got this group of other guys. And it was like, wait, hold on. AJ yeah, is right. in that group right, with the right. other guys. So I'm sure there was some other coach speak that went on. But I, I agree with everything you said with uh, Elijah Mitchell. I mean, kudos to him for never even for a brief second having a chance to get in the Shanahan doghouse. 288 touches without a fumble or drop, uh, including the playoffs, easily the highest mark in the NFL. But we've already saw like they were playing hasty over him on pass downs. Yeah. And Trey Lance being in there is great for Trey Lance. It's really not great for everyone else. And we just yeah. see that with mobile quarterbacks yeah. all throughout the league. So, yeah, to your point, didn't take that much to get him in the first place. There's nothing wrong with an RB2, but at least in that group, I see why you're siding with ETM. Two more questions, JJ. So common rule of thumb, I like to repeat over and over again on this podcast. I'm sure people are sick of it, but whatever. They can they can deal with it. Buy players closer to their floor, then their ceiling whenever possible. Basic enough. You mentioned someone like Khalil Herbert. That was a great example. If you just want to keep going on about him, that's fine. But do you have him or another running back ranked outside the top 24 that you think could be maybe one good year away or maybe one depth chart move away from being like legitimately in the RB1 conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned this whenever we were, we were chatting, you know, whenever you sent over some of these questions and stuff, but uh, you, you know, you mentioned Clyde Edwards, Alaire, uh, and I felt I, gross typing that out. No, bro. I totally, <laughs> totally agree with, Clyde, with the Clyde Edwards, Alaire take. And I, I remember doing my dynasty rankings for, for uh, my patrons on over on Patreon. And uh, I was looking at mine and just comparing it to consensus after I was done with it. Cause I just wanted to see who I was high on and who I was low on. And I was way higher than consensus on, on CEH. And I, I didn't, you know, he's one of those players where like, you don't want to fully admit that, right? Like you don't want to like go out there and be like, oh yeah, I love CEH. And then everyone, you know, you just don't want to be like on that train. Uh, But at the same time, there's, there's a crazy statistic that I was, I discovered just like by messing around uh, one day Um, among all 100 plus attempt runners last year, there's 49 of them. Mm -hmm. CEH was second best at gaining positive yards at the rate of gaining positive yards behind only Tony Pollard and he was the absolute best at gaining two or more yards per attempt. 
Damn. Which is insane to think about. Like he was better <laughs> than a lot of the grinders, like a Nick Chubb. Yeah. I mean, he like he was not nearly as bad. I mean, the, the problem with CEH in general is that we have this perception. You know, we have this. He was it's 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 like a it's like a Jalen Rager to Justin Jefferson situation. Even mm-hmm. though, uh, you know, I'm not definitely not comparing CEH to Jalen Rager sure. because it's, it's you know CEH is better at his position than Jalen Rager is at his. But it's a similar situation where everyone's just constantly comparing CEH to Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift, and it's like, yeah, we get it, guys. Like he's not as good <laughs> as those running backs. Like we we can. That doesn't mean though that he's like completely irrelevant and terrible yeah. at the game. And no one's I saying actually, he's top five. That doesn't mean no, he can't produce. No. <laughs> the, the the crazy thing with CEH is that I mean we we know this that you know he comes in as this pass catcher and we're like oh man he's gonna catch eighty balls in this Patrick Mahomes offense with Andy Reid and then he just it's not translating but the thing that actually kind of is is that he hasn't been that bad of a runner like he hasn't been that that bad of a runner and so you know I, I do think that he's still gonna see a decent enough workload in that offense we know the offense is one that you would want a running back in just naturally. Um, and so just given the sentiment around CEH, especially after the playoffs where, uh, you know, the utilization just wasn't there. I think that right now he makes a lot of sense as someone who's just an afterthought that could become, you know, in an RB one, hypothetically, if things break his way. And look, the thing coming out of the first year, Oh, he can't score on the goal line. I invite you guys to go back and look at those seven, eight goal line carries that sort yeah. of prime Reggie Bush flying 10 yards through the air. Right. I don't know who the hell is doing that before he got freaking hurt. I think it might've even been the play like against the Steelers. He trucks two guys at the goal line and scores his rushing production and efficiency. Like you said, were great last year. The problem has been the receiving and it's really just been other guys in the offense getting that work. Daryl Williams, Jarek McKinnon, Oh, both unrestricted free agents. Even Derek Gore, everyone's favorite, you know, Monday night had one good drive guy. He's an exclusive rights free agent. There will be other running backs on the team, but man, it's like the one issue with Clyde hasn't really been the rushing stuff. It's more so been the receiving goodness and everything that we saw at LSU. I don't think that was a Fugazi. We know we can catch the ball. Let's stay healthy for a full 17 games and figure it out because dude, um, we have 20, Five years of Andy Reid RB1 history. I don't think we should only be looking at the last two and being like, oh, okay, yeah, Andy Reid can't have an RB1 anymore. Yeah. And look, if you want to make the argument that he's not like an explosive running back, I'm not going to really deny that. I mean, like, he doesn't have a good, like, 20 plus run, 10 plus run type rate. And that's part of the reason why his yards per carry isn't like out of control despite yeah. constantly churning out two plus yards, right? Um, you know, you can make those arguments. I'm not trying to sell him as like this, like stud running back. I'm just trying to say that in this case, you know, you have a running back that's locked in in the next two years in this elite situation. Um, I mean, I highly doubt at this point, they're going to fifth year option this dude, but you never know. Like maybe they end up doing that too. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I just think that he's the right kind of bet to make, um, you know, because there's going to be a lot of people who are just sick of him and, and over it. Last one, JJ. Now that was, you know, Clyde's kind of sitting there around that RB2 borderline range. I want a running back or two outside like the top 36, like pure speculative ads. A couple I mentioned on the last podcast, Chris Evans, don't look now. Bengals could get out of the P Ryan mixing contracts kind of whenever they want to. Darrington Evans, theoretical. Derrick Henry Hancock, if the guy can ever stay healthy. And Anthony McFarland, I already kind of hate that one ever since I've said it, but you know, <laughs> hey. Backups to workhorse running backs is what I'm trying to get at here. Any, again, purely speculative running backs that, you know, hey, we're in round 15, 16 in the dynasty draft. If you burn the pick, whatever, there might be some upside people aren't considering. Yeah, he might be not as deep as those guys, but but one guy who I'm definitely buying this offseason is Kenneth Gainwell. Um, you know, he's he's someone who my prospect model liked a good bit. Again, I'm a sucker for receiving. 
great receiving back out of Memphis. We've seen the Memphis backs, uh, you know, do work in the NFL. Or I don't know be, what be, they're putting in the Gatorade. Dude, I, there, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, you know, but Gainwell doesn't have the draft capital that we wanted him to have coming out. And then he goes to Philly and we're like, oh, he's buried on the step chart, uh, you know, especially behind Miles Sanders. But uh, the way they utilized him in year one was at least a little bit intriguing and, and pretty good uh, in terms of, of future success. So that year two model I was talking about really – uh, looks at receiving work in that first year as well, not just like points per game production, but receiving work seems to matter a good bit. And it was wild when I looked at it, but he's actually only two percentage points lower in that percentile score than Elijah Mitchell is okay. right now, Kenneth Gainwell. So uh, he's just someone, you know, I'm just trusting the math a little bit, someone who, and it makes sense too, logically, right? Like Miles Sanders isn't totally like doing his thing. Like he hasn't been like this, this super reliable guy uh, from an injuries perspective and even a pass catching perspective. They utilize Kenneth Gainwell a good bit as a pass catcher in year one. I understand they, they use Boston Scott and, and Jordan Howard over him during the second half of the season, uh, but he was a rookie, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not like that crazy that he, uh, you know, wasn't seeing a ton of work. Um, but just given what he did as a pass catcher in year one, given what his profile looked like, I think that he's just really, really undervalued right now in dynasty. He does the most important thing, which is catch passes. And he's even doing it in an offense that could not be worse for fantasy running backs. I mean, Jalen Hurts, like I, I've always equated Jalen Hurts at the goal line to like when Cal Norton asked Ricky Bobby, like, could I maybe win one of these times? <laughs> yeah. Like, could the running backs get a touchdown? You know, Hurts right. is like, no, how am I going to win uh, in that case? Right. You know, we're getting the Russell Wilson rumors, Deshaun Watson, the Philly rumors. I'm not saying those are going to happen, but at a minimum, man, like, you know, we're talking running backs today, but I'm a lot lower on Jalen Hurts than most because I don't love it when yeah. a new coach had to change his entire offense six weeks into the year to, uh, let's face it, fairly gimmicky, extreme run first, you know, unit was not, did not come in with Sirianni. I'm concerned about Jalen Hurts, but because of that, maybe we should be higher on the young running back that again, yeah. does the most important skill we should be chasing catch passes. Yeah, that's a great point. A point that I didn't even think about. So thank you for that. Well, there we go, JJ, people helping people, people can go help you by subscribing late round.com. Everyone truly, you guys all know who JJ is. I don't need to, you know, pitch the man anymore than he's already done, but truly, you know, one of the best guys in the industry, both as a person and fantasy analyst. What, what's the uh, term, you know, uh, Good analyst, better guy, whatever the hell I'm trying to talk about. Yeah, that's a, I'll get that tattooed on my back. Yeah, <laughs> JJ, great stuff. Again, at Late Round QB on Twitter. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, no, man. You know, I just late round fantasy football has been a lot of fun so far and hopefully people can join up and, and, uh, you know, take advantage of the stuff that I'm trying to put out there and enjoy it and got the prospect guide that I'm launching March 14th, which I didn't plan for it, but it just so happens to be pie day, which is, Ooh, uh, you know, very, very relevant for it being a very numbers and analytics centric, <laughs> uh, guide. So definitely check that out. It's all on late round.com pie over cake. Yeah. I'm a pie guy over cake. Yeah got more possibilities maybe the best cake beats the best pie but i feel like yeah yeah i can see pie. that yeah. yeah yeah very relevant for jj i'm ian thank you as always for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody <laughs> <laughs>